Wonderful people in ADD land. <laughs> this is John Howey. I am here with Jimmy Humphrey. Woo. Yeah. No Theosaurus Rex this time around. He didn't have a good mic. Um, so I was going to say he's joining us via CB radio, but like whatever. <laughs> CB radio. I actually, um, I sometimes for work, I have to use a radio. Mm. And, uh, like, because you, like, you go on, like, back roads, like, logging roads, and um, you have to radio to tell people that you're coming, like, every certain amount of kilometers. I don't know if you're familiar with back roads, but that's what they do sometimes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and so you'd be, like, um, there's, like, Alberta's got a weird system. It's, like, empty pickup, loaded pickup. It's an empty pickup on the way out, and it's loaded pickup on the way back, Right. And so it's like, empty pickup, kilometer five. That's kind of what you would call. But I'm always like <laughs> tempted to just do like a weird voice on the radio because I'm like, nobody knows who this is, right? So it's like, empty pickup, right? kilometer seven. I should start doing that at the bank. They probably just think that's my normal voice. Like, I'm sure there's someone that talks like that normally. I'm sure. Anyways, hey, I didn't introduce you. Well, I said that you're Jimmy Humphrey, but people right. may not know who Jimmy Humphrey is. So, a legend. Jamie, Jimmy Humphrey is a person. A person? Darn it, you stole my line. Oh, yeah, yeah. I should have <laughs> got you to write a bio. That's what you do when you have a guest, right? Right. Yeah. But as, as we said on your podcast, I was like, that's probably a good bio. I'm a person. And then you could totally live up to it. Unlike right. Theosaurus Rex, who's a dinosaur, so... I actually have a co-host who is a person this time. No offense, Theosaurus Rex. None taken. You <laughs> <laughs> sounded just like him. Hey, so so um, every time, do you are you familiar with what DC Talk did? Um, they, you know, were a big band in the '90s um, in Christian music, and uh, what was it like two, three years ago? They said, we have a big announcement um, coming up. They announced this, right? And it was like this big thing. And people were like so stoked because it's like, oh, is it going to be a new tour? Is it going to be a new album? And we were waiting with bated breath. And I, I'm a huge DC Talk fan. Uh, Kevin Max is my fave. But anyways, so when the announcement actually dropped, so it was like the first time they posted anything on social media in like forever. And... Um, they announced they were doing a cruise, mm. which everyone's like, what? <laughs> That's so it? They gave their vocal band and Charles Stanley up there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was like, yeah. So it was like, I had no idea. Like, 
it, it just was kind of a letdown. Although a cruise is kind of a fun idea, but it's just, right. I guess it's not as not as wide of an appeal. It's like only a certain amount of people are going to able be able to make it to the cruise. People with money. <laughs> yeah, people with money and time, right? And, right. But a Older concert, people. like like if they were touring, at least they can come to you. If they have right. an album, everybody can hear it, right? So, so many people were let it, let down. I, I was one of the let down. And anyways, this is just the big setup because I'm like, well, every time somebody says I have a big announcement coming up, I keep saying, is it a blah, blah, blah cruise? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say that every time. So it'll be like John Acuff. Got a big announcement coming up, and I'm like, the John Acuff cruise, right? And so I just can't stop making that joke. And That's so a good joke. It kind of got me thinking, what would an ADD Masterminds cruise be like? Nobody would show up, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, well, it, it's funny because uh, I, I posed that question. We have <laughs> Yeah, I posed that question to, to some people, right? And... Um, so one person said lasers. I mean, of course, there's going to be lasers, right? Right, um, absolutely. A lot, Emmanuel Marsh, he said, uh, lots of planning and then canceling excursions. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how we roll. Um, <laughs> I was like, uh, under promise and over, de- no, wait, over promise and under deliver. That's what it is, right? Um, right. Christian Funkhauser said dinosaurs. I don't know why he's obsessed with dinosaurs. Maybe he's a big fan of Theosaurus Rex. I don't know. Maybe he thinks uh, like Ken Ham that they were on the Ark with Noah, and you know maybe that's his thing. <laughs> Ken Ham. <laughs> we lots of him we don't talk school, politics. No. <laughs> uh, and then Josh Armstrong asked, "Will it be sponsored by Acme?" Well, of course, it's going to be sponsored by Acme, which reminds me, um, have you gotten the laser web workout from Acme? No, I have no idea what that is. Okay, so you don't like those um, those laser webs when you're like trying to break into somewhere? Like, I'm sure you've broken into somewhere that has laser webs, right? Uh, all the time. <laughs> 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 I don't like to talk about just, that because my play my along, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Anyways, so so you know how you have to like have to step over the lasers oh, um, yeah, yeah. to get in so that you can get whatever you're trying to obtain. Right. I mean, maybe like a really cool weapon or like money or like a map to some treasure. Or maybe to rescue... Wait, wait, we're villains, though. <laughs> we wouldn't be rescuing. Anyways, um, yeah, yeah. So, so this is actually a home kit that you can get. That's a laser web, and it's actually designed to give you the ultimate uh, supervillain workout. Mm. It's called the Laser Web Workout. Is that like going to be like the new goat yoga? Yeah, I don't even know what that is. You, you guys don't have goat yoga in okay, Canada? It involves goats? Like, what do you, like... You do, like, yoga, and goats, like, stand on your back while you do weird yoga positions. That sounds like a southern thing, dude. And, and it's coming to you, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you things for the future. In two years, you guys will have 
goat yoga in Calgary. Your kids are going to love it. Absolutely. So, anyways, I, I guess back to the cruise. I was thinking, like, the menu would be shockingly random. <laughs> it's like you just kind of show up, and it's like, oh, uh, they're, they're selling ostrich now. Like, yesterday <laughs> they weren't selling ostrich. Where is this coming from? Um, the entertainment. I like the idea of the exotic meats. That, that would be a great cruise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just, we'll have something on the menu that just says, it tastes like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so awesome. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up right now. We should Could do this. Could it be rabbit? <laughs> we should do this. Um, <laughs> the entertainment would be all over the map. So I, I'm thinking, you know, like, it's like, yeah. Maybe, you know, what we need is we need artists that can be all over the map. I think that'd be even better because you're like, what is he going to do next? Oh, now he's doing a classical tune. <laughs> and then, you know, next thing you know, he's doing like a jazz tune and then he does some rap and then he goes gangster rap and then he does death metal and then he does, you know, I think that'd be fun. Could we have Keith Green on the cruise? I know he's not alive anymore, but could we play his music? A Keith Green hologram? <laughs> Let's do it. That would be awesome. He, as long as he can crawl under the piano. What's our budget, Acme? I think it should be uh, one million dollars. They're gonna they're gonna have to get back to us on that. I guess it depends on how many of these like laser web workouts we sell. So, guys, if you buy the laser web workout, um, go to acmelasers.com, and um, it's there somewhere. I think it's the featured featured product. So, yeah, do that. Uh, yeah, anyways. Um, so, I also thought that the route that the ship takes would be totally unpredictable. It's like the ADD Masterminds Cruise. Where are we going? No idea. Where's it going to start? Oh, that's a good question. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we have to start somewhere, hey? Let's start in Iowa. <laughs> Is Iowa coastal? No, it's uh, smack dead in the middle of uh, the United States where they grow all sorts of corn. And oh. uh, Field of Dreams. Oh, Field of Dreams. I've seen that movie. Yes, if you build, if you build it, it. Yes. They will come. There we go. I think it's really close to the Ark Museum that Ken Ham built. Dang. That Ken Ham, he's everywhere. Totally. There he was are in Ham my homeschool everywhere. curriculum growing up. <laughs> whenever, I, whenever I hear Ken Ham, I keep thinking of Ham from Toy Story. So, you know the pig? His name's right. Ham, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Anyways, I've never heard his voice, but I assume he sounds just like Cliff from Cheers. <laughs> he's, uh, I think he's been lost. He's kind of very comfort-like. Ooh, that's very comforting. Yeah. Hey, so you added something to the ADD master list. Um, I did. Is God's voice really a still small voice? Yep. So, what do you think? Is it? Sometimes. Does it have to be? Ah. Uh, does it have to be a? St- well, no. I mean, the Bible actually shows him. Speaking audibly. Um, but that's Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, do you think it was a still small voice where 
you know, Jesus said to Paul, you know, um, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, Paul. <laughs> Whispering creepy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I think the entire thing is taken off uh, Elijah and him, you know, not hearing God in the earthquake and all that stuff. Right. And, you know, the, 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 the wind and, and things like that. But, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, somebody once asked me, like, do we really want to make our theology of God's voice based off of what Elijah heard in the middle of his rebellion? I mean, that doesn't seem like a very good theological underpinning for how a believer should normally be hearing the voice of God. I like the term theological underpinning. I made that up just right now. You must have went to Bible college. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was reading Twitter earlier, and I'm sure you know somebody smart said it. You know, some, some cool okay. progressive guy. Okay. Okay. So honestly, like, okay. So my experience, actually, sometimes God's voice is grating, especially when He speaks through other people, right. and someone says to you something that you don't want to hear. So right. it's definitely not a still small voice always. Mm, um, that's good. I, I, I God's voice is different than what we would expect it given the situation, <laughs> and so we got to be very careful to listen. Right. I I was listening to um, an interview with Kim Walker, um, Kim Walker Smith of Jesus Culture, and she was talking. Somebody asked or the question. It must have been a listener question, you know, where the you know, question was, how do you hear God's voice? And Kim Walker Smith said, like, there's thoughts that come to your head, and sometimes yeah. they're of God, sometimes they're not. Right. And sometimes they're yourself, sometimes they're God. And she said, so sometimes you just have to, like, take that chance with the voice. Now, I mean, normally I would say, like, check it with Scripture. <laughs> right. I mean, if it's not in line with Scripture, it not God. But um, <laughs> there are times, though, where, you know, like, there'll be that, like, kind of inkling. Like, I remember sitting in church one day with my atheist friend that I brought, and um, I, could, I had this idea that this, this Bible that I had in my hands, which was a gift that was given to me, that was very precious to me at that time, I felt like I should give it to him. And I was like, why? Why would I give this Bible to him? That doesn't even, like, I wouldn't make that up. <laughs> I don't want to give it to him, right? And so I offered it to him because I felt like that was God's voice telling me to do it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'm good. I have a Bible at home. And I'm like, oh. So then, you know, I kind of had that moment where I'm like, oh, that wasn't God then. That was dumb. And then it was kind of like, actually, actually it was. Like, it was kind of like a test. It was almost like, like right. Abraham and Isaac, you know? And I was like, oh, that's a good one, God, right? But anyways, that was a conversation I had about it. But it's just like learning how to recognize the difference between your voice and God's voice. And it's like God's right. voice is way wiser. Right. <laughs> so when something wise <laughs> pops into your head, Go chances are it's not you. And, I mean, I, what Kim Walker Smith said is like, be don't be afraid to look foolish and so sometimes there'll be that voice saying do this or talk to this person and you're like okay 
and you may look foolish. And, but that's the chance you've got to take. You want right. to learn how to hear God's voice. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm reminded of what Jesus said, and uh, I think it's John, where Jesus is like, you know, my sheep know my voice. Yeah. Another, they will not follow. So I think there's something about the voice of God that it's not about the decibels, but it's about the knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I know that you know that you know that you know that you know. And, I, you know, I think sometimes that can manifest itself in different ways. It can be that still small voice or it can be that cheese grater sort of feel or, you know, it's sometimes just a, I should just do that sort of intuit sort of thing. You know, if the Holy Spirit's leading us on a daily basis and and things like that, then I think, you know, there's almost a, a secondary sort of, um, no, maybe not secondary, uh, a sort of brief, uh, natural, just sort of knowing that you know that you know, uh, almost kind of a reflex, you know, yeah. kind of like uh, athlete just knows where to go anytime when they're on the ice or on the field or or what have you. They don't even have to think about well, what should I do for this play? They just know what to do for this play and have a set it up and you know they'll sit there and talk to espn or something later about well this is what i was thinking at the time and like you know i played sports uh, a lot growing up and i definitely know i wasn't thinking <laughs> when i was out there i mean i, I was but I, I wasn't i was just responding and yeah it kind of just came to me naturally yeah. i think that's, that's kind of uh i think that's where the scriptures would have us to be in the the, the day-to-day aspect of God's voice, just this kind of, you know, instinctual sort of thing. Like, you know, if you were to ask me what my wife's opinion on something is, I could probably tell you what my wife's opinion on something mm-hmm. is without having her direct words just because, well, I know what how my wife thinks and what she thinks. Um, totally. I've had lots of conversations that's, with her. That's it right there. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I could tell somebody something, you know, somebody who knows you very well, right? And right. we could be talking about it, it's like, and then Jimmy said, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, that's so Jimmy to say that, <laughs> right? And I, I think that that's like recognizing God's voice is like that. You know, somebody says, oh, it's crazy. And then the person gave me this thing for free. And it's like, right. that's such a God thing. That's crazy. Right. Or something terrible happens. <laughs> You know, and it's like, and then I realized I need to do something with my life. And it's like, oh, that's so God. Like, it's not always like you get something free, right? Right. But, yeah, totally. And, you know, as you're talking about that, too, about the instinctual, it's like, I think that's what, you know, somebody explained to me once, that's what praying without ceasing really is, is like your right. life is a prayer. It's right. not necessarily words, as so much as actually being in the presence of God constantly and you're instinctual in doing what God's calling you to do. You know, I'm reminded just now of uh, Exodus when Moses goes before God and says, well, God, how am I going to convince the, the what's going to be the sign that uh, you've sent me to deliver the, the, the Hebrews from, from bondage? And, you know, he's like, well, the sign's going to be when they're out here worshiping me uh, at the mountain, like, mm. well, that's what he said before, you know, he even went to the Jews. So it's kind of like, you know, it's God's voice, it's God's voice almost in retrospect. Uh, maybe in the moment, it's not so clear, 
uh, even when you're talking to God on the mountain. Um, but uh, it's kind of like God's like, you know, Moses, you're going to know that this was my voice, you know, when you show up here with, with all the Jews to <laughs> worship me. Yeah, it's like do something crazy first, and then he'll, he'll reveal to you that it's real. I'm just going to start <laughs> blaming God for everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, so um, I remember the first time um, my wife told me that she was pregnant. And uh, she kind of sat me down and explained to me how it's all going to go down. And I realized right in that moment that giving birth is gross. <laughs> I actually said that at the time. <laughs> Involves poo. <laughs> he said poo. All right. <laughs> that's what I've heard. I've not had any kids yet, but that's what I've heard. Involves poo. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. I just think it's a funny thought. Giving birth is gross. Um, hey, uh, speaking of medical stuff, <laughs> essential oils. Why are they called essential oils? They aren't essential, are they? They're not that essential. Well, I've gotten the impression that they're so essential to the financial well-being of many Christian women who... Oh, for so- <laughs> that's it right there. That's it right there. You nailed it. <laughs> that, that's what I get. That's what I get why they're essential. Although my wife tells me my skin is kind of ashy sometimes, so you know she'd like to see me use more lotions or something, and I'm just like... Well, you know, maybe I should hook up with one of my Instagram friends who are always, you know, telling me about the oils that they're selling. Maybe, mm. maybe that would help. What is it? Tea tree oil? Is it tea tree oil? I don't, I don't know. There's one that you take that's good for like when you're sick. So. But they're totally a Jesus company. It's it's never a Muslim essential oils company, is it? <laughs> this this faith based Muslim uh, business opportunity that you have to. To uh, you know, sell these oils. It's always it's always a Christian business opportunity. Is it actually like? Is it founded by Christians or probably? Or probably Christians not. Just but, I actually heard a lot of these. Uh, I've heard a lot of these um, multi level marketing things are actually formed. A lot of them are formed by Mormons. Hmm. Um, if you would like, actually do the research on them. For some reason, Mormons have been huge in the multi level marketing thing. Interesting. And I think it's partially because, like, a lot of their their wives, you know, stay home and don't work too much. Mm, so they, that's you know, it. Actually, that's why it's frequently in Christian circles too, right? Is because right. you've got like those stay at home moms that are like, "Well, I want to make some money from home," right? And so they get involved in all kinds of stuff like that, right? But yeah, multi level marketing. It's yeah, I can see where there's a danger there, but yeah, I don't know. Essential oils seem to work, some of them, so I'm not too suspicious of them. Right. Hey, have you read any Philip Yancey? Uh, I know the name. I want to say I know I've flipped through a book, but it's been a while. He he wrote this book, The Jesus I Never Knew, and it's like super, like probably from the 90s, so it's it's pretty old. Mm, Yeah, that sounds right. But um, I, I... some really interesting stuff from that book. Um, so here's a quote. By resisting Satan's temptation to override human freedom, Jesus made himself too easy to reject. He surrendered his greatest advantage, the power to compel belief. Fortunately, oh wait, this might not have been him that said this. Fortunately, 
The church recognized the error and corrected it and relied on miracle, mystery, and authority ever since. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, when you talk about like the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, right? Like it's right. that kind of concept. It's like he, he didn't override. He's not using manipulation, but the church can be. You know, the church becomes showy. The church becomes, you know, we're relying on miracles. We're relying on mystery. We're relying on authority. Authority is a big thing, like, right. within the church. Um, and it's like authority is used to kind of bully people into right. behaving a certain way. That's pretty crazy. And it's like, that's not how, that's not how Jesus acted. I remember when I was a late teens was kind of a new believer and I was kind of struggling with my faith. Sometimes I was wondering, Hey, is this even real? You know, does God really exist? How do I know God exists? And I was like, well, you know, it shouldn't be very hard to produce an empirical, you know, proof that God exists. I should just be able to ask God, God, I'm laying here in my bed. I don't know if you exist or not, but you know, it should be really easy for you to prove it. So God, can you just turn the light switch off on my wall? Mm -hmm. You know, Something simple, you know, introductory God-level miracle stuff. Right. Um, you know, they should be able to prove it. If God could just, you know, turn the light switch off on the wall, that that would convince me right then and there. I won't even have to tell anybody about it. That'll just be enough for me. And, mm. you know, I was looking for, but in doing that, I, you know, realized after a long time, I was really kind of looking for, um, you know, something kind of authoritative, something I could empirically see with my eyes. Yes, God exists. Because uh, God never turned off that light switch, you know. Um, but he turned another one on. <laughs> oh, snap. Snap? <laughs> hey, no, so, light switch, not snap. So, I don't know where this came from um, originally, but I just had this idea. It's all noise. It's all a clanging symbol. And... I guess more so kind of looking at like my my social media feed and I'm just like right. so much of this is just noise it's a clanging symbol mm. and it's just thought it was an interesting approach to that passage because we always say without love it's all noise it's a clanging symbol but I'm like how many things actually are just noise and a clanging symbol how much of our conversations how much of our interactions are just right. noise and clanging symbols because they lack love? You know, I have uh, somebody in my family who really has the art of conversation. And when you're with them for long periods of time, it's just constant conversation, lots of small talk. Hmm. So not, not necessarily anything about anything always significant, although significant topics can be brought up, but it's just kind of right. like there's this this fear of embracing silence and just mm-hmm. having silence in that moment, even with just each other. No, there always must be constant conversation. And yeah. I think it's because we so love the noise. We, you know, we we're uncomfortable with living in a society where there is no noise because silence scares us to death at some level. Hmm. So, but without that silence, we can't hear that still small voice. Right. 
Right. That's what it is at that time, right? Right. But, I mean, if we're wanting noise all the time, chances are he is going to be speaking in the still small voice. Right. Well, I think there's this kind of addiction to noise, though. Like, like sometimes I even find myself doing it. Like, I, I like listening, you know, being a podcast person, I like listening to other people's podcasts or yeah. music. Like, But I don't, I always try to, It's it can be hard to, but to kind of unplug just from it all. Like, it's a 45-minute drive for me to get to work every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people, I sometimes mention it that, like, I'll just, like, well, I don't really listen to any music or anything on the way. And they're just like, wait a second, you just drive in your car with a no psychopath? noise? Right. Like, <laughs> who are you going to kill uh, when you get wherever you're going? Like, because <laughs> I don't want to be along for the ride. Like, and even my wife has found that a little weird about me. Like, sometimes we'll be driving up to my parents' um, her vacation or something, and it's a four- or five-hour drive. And, you know, unfortunately, where we drive through, there's, it can be pretty remote, and sometimes there's not much in the way of, of radio signal, let alone, like, some sort of 4G signal that you could pipe something in. Um, and since nobody has CDs anymore, um, it's kind of like, well, what do you do with that time? And, you know, if my wife's the one driving, well, she'll load up on CDs before we come. But right. if it's me driving, it's just kind of like, well, I guess we'll just enjoy the quiet hum of the road. And... I don't know. That that makes some folks uncomfortable when there's a lack of noise and lack of clanging cymbals. They they can't embrace the silence. There always has to be this frenzy of activity um, in yeah. whatever you're doing. I think that silence is healthy for us, though. It's like I don't think we were designed to be bombarded with constant stimulation. Right. But our society's full of it. And I think sometimes you find yourself bombarding yourself from stimulation so you can focus because there's so much other stimulation that's distracting you. Right. Like I, I find in the office, it's like I'm constantly listening to podcasts or music just right. so I can focus on the task I'm doing. Right. But it, makes, it does make me less in the moment, right? And so right. How, do we, how do we actually live in the moment and be okay with the fact that there is no stimulating conversation and i'm i'm trying to become more of an observer and being okay with being an observer because if i'm sitting in a conversation and it is just going on and on about mundane things that i don't care about that aren't going to solve the world's problems um i need to learn to just kind of sit with that because i know that i'm more than capable of entering the conversation and steering it into a whole different, you know, a whole different dimension, right? Like, because I like to take it deep. But I'm like, not everybody wants that. Right. And I don't know if I'm supposed to do that all the time. I think sometimes I got to let it be and let people be who they are, (laughs) do what they do. And if they want to talk for... Two hours about the weather. Maybe I need to learn to be okay with that. I remember listening to somebody's sermon a while back, several years ago. They were talking about a book they read about uh, how technology is robbing us of our humanity because it robs us of the ability to have solitude and a sense of feeling alone. You never feel alone when you have 700 contacts in your phone at any given moment and you can scroll on them in Facebook. But can you imagine being a farmer 
living on the prairie land two or three hundred years ago, and you could possibly go days without seeing or talking to another human being. Mm. Um, and there's something that technology has done with our ability to constantly be bombarded with noise in which nobody ever has that experience these days. And if they do, they're probably going to kill themselves because that would be so foreign to just what our experience as a modern people has been. Uh, we don't know what it's like in many ways to, to be disconnected from other humans and to embrace silence and, and just embrace, you know, us by ourselves making it out there in the world and having nobody like we Mm. never have that opportunity to be alone. Well, it's like this disconnection, right? Which we need. Like, I think it's, it's like you trying to put my finger on it. Cause I remember it was like, it was Rob Bell talking about Sabbath and like, it's kind of like life has to be in waves where there's like this level of disconnection and then intense connection and then disconnection. And you can kind of see it kind of like a sina, sinusoidal sinusoidal wave. I don't know if you have a no picture of that. But uh, it's, like, it's like a sound wave. You've seen a picture of a s- right. sound wave, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like that. And I think what we're doing right now is flatlining. Like we are in this pseudo-connection state constantly oh i'm connected i listened to this podcast (laughs) you know and it's like no you no you didn't right Right. and like even your conversation it's like you may be talking about stuff like you could be talking about the movie you watched last night and everybody's talking about it but it's like you're not really having a real conversation there's no depth of connection right but it's kind of like that depth of connection could get to be too much and if that does get to be too much, what you need to do is go to the dip side, the, you know, the downside of that sinusoidal wave. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> I but, took a physics class once. That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said, like, you've got to, like, pronounce it with confidence. Right. It's like and then people think you're names. saying you just, it right. You just, if you just say it, nobody's going to correct you. Yeah, you, you say it with enough confidence, then, like, even the person who knows how to say it will be like, I've been saying that wrong all this time. <laughs> he sounds really confident. Um, anyways, um, but yeah, so I, I really think that it's, it's one of those things, like connections like that. It's like, let's get to a higher depth of connection. And I'm realizing that's something I'm personally lacking right now, is I need more depth of connection and be willing to sit with things, be willing to, like, work, you know, side by side with someone on something physically you know like right. maybe maybe do some cooking i don't i'm not much of a cook but i'm like <laughs> maybe that's something i need to do more of in community right. um and build that connection because we're losing it and we live right. in this pseudo pseudo connection kind of society it's like well i'm i made my post on facebook and somebody commented on it and that's my connection for today no we need right. to do better this is unhealthy right and so, you know, that's, that's one thing I think that like eating together, like mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me 
because I traveled so much for work at one point, you know, I was eating on the road all the time and it was normal for me to eat my, by myself when you're, you're out there on the road. Yeah. But it didn't occur to me until like I started talking about talking to my wife about it. And she's like, well, I've never eaten anywhere by myself. Yeah, really most crazy. people don't. And right. I do it all the time because I travel too. Right. Or like go, go see a movie by yourself. Like what kind of psychopath does that? You know? Yeah. I mean, and so we, we think of things like eating. I think there's something inherently spiritual and communal, yeah. you know, about something as simple as sitting down and eating a meal together. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure Jesus did something centered around eating at least once. Hmm. This kind of reminds me of a Facebook post I made, <laughs> which says the word political. We'll try not to dwell on that too much, but I'm going to read this. I'm going to quote myself here. What if we looked at root causes instead of symptoms? So many of our societal issues are discussed at a symptomatic level. For example, gun violence, abortion, issues of identity, and political polarization. This solves nothing. I believe that every human being was created in the image of God. Every human being was created with a divine purpose. When we go outside that purpose, the image is tarnished and our vision is blurred. This results in the dehumanization of others and the dehumanization of ourselves. You are loved. You were designed in the image of love. You were designed to love. If we love God and others, everything else falls into place. We all fail at this. This is why we need forgiveness, and we need the guidance of the Comforter to get us back on track. When I see these issues arise, my prayer is that we get back on track with our divine purpose. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities. It's good. Thank you. I I was thinking about the dehumanization of others and the dehumanization of ourselves. And Mm -hmm. I think our technology addiction is making that happen. And and we're not human anymore. Like, we're created in the image of God, and so we all have a certain level of dignity that should be upheld, despite our sin, despite the fact that we've tarnished this image. Um, and it, it, I don't know, it's just interesting to me, like, just how this dawned upon me, because I was like, that, that image is tarnished and our vision is blurred, and that's what's causing us to dehumanize ourselves and others. And so if we truly are going to love one another, we actually need to build that community for real. Right. And that involves being okay with the mundane, the mundane of being disconnected so that you have enough energy to really connect. Right. Um, and I think also it, it, it reminds me, somebody had said, I'm sure it was in a message I heard, it's like, God cares about every detail of your life. And I'm like, what? Really? Because <laughs> I don't care about the details of anyone's life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's like, how was your day, honey? Well, I went to the school, and I did this, 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 and it's like, yeah, don't care. 
I just want to, you know, just good is good. You know, like, but it's like, no, 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 no. God cares about every detail of our lives. Therefore, I need to care about every detail about your life. And that will humanize you. Mm. That's not easy. No. Especially. It takes a lot of energy to connect with people Mm. and meaningful ways like that. And it can be exhausting. I mean, some people yeah. might be a little more predisposed to, you know, that sort of outgoing life of the party loves to connect with everybody and just yeah. constantly thrives off floating from one social circle to the next. I know I'm not, I'm not that way. <laughs> like I consider it a win when I get all my weekends to myself in one month. You know? <laughs> I, you know, for me, it takes a lot for me to get out the door and connect with people. But yeah, yeah I would go nuts at a party and talk to everybody. Like I just, I'd be exhausted at the end of the day. But I'm just like, if I actually, we had a 40th birthday party for me um, in December last year. And happy uh, belated birthday! I didn't know <laughs> you then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't known each other very long, have we? No. Uh, um. But anyways, uh, and it was a surprise party. And I walk into this room, and there's like a room full of people. I can't even estimate how many people there were. There was quite a bit. And I was like, holy man, all these people are here for me. Like, that was such a hard thing for me to wrap my mind around. And then I thought, well, dang it, if these people all came for me, I better make sure I talk to every one of them. (laughs) so my goal was before i even started eating i need to say hi to every person in this room i don't even think i got to say hi to everybody that showed up at my wedding Mm. (laughs) you know i started making the rounds around the room but eventually realized oh i have to go do something with a photographer i have to go stand here for a picture Mm. i have to go eat the cake yeah those events are crazy (laughs) but i mean they saw you do the ceremony thing that's kind of the main thing for them that's the most important thing that i was seeing you know (laughs) yeah um hey so actually when i had kids um when first had kids when they were little i kind of had this thing where i like to kind of um jokingly i don't know look down on them (laughs) so like my kid would be like I don't know, sitting in a chair, and I'd be like, oh, look, he's sitting in a chair, just like a real person. And I just would say that about everything they did. It was so much fun. And, uh, yeah, I was at the store with my 15-year-old, and I think he bought something. It was something like that, and I kind of looked at him like, oh, look, he's paying for his deodorant, just like a real person. Then I realized he's 15. It doesn't work anymore. He's an actual person now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to like, whenever my kids would ask for something, I'm like, you can't blah, blah, blah. You're just a child. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It's a good thing they can take a joke. From it's me. a good thing they forget it, too. <laughs> from me, anyways. Yeah. Hey, I, um, I heard this uh, guy. Oh, it was... Um, Questlove. You know who Questlove is? No. He's the dude from the Jimmy Fallon show that has, like, the pick in his head. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon comes on too late for me. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, this is a band called The Roots. 
I guess they're kind of a big deal in hip-hop. I never actually really listened to them. I need to do a deep dive into their stuff. But it was really interesting because Questlove teaches, like, the history of music at a university. And so he had all kinds of interesting nuggets of information. And um, it was on uh, Alec Baldwin's podcast, whatever that's called. Um, and he, he was talking about how the Beatles, when they were at like, their height of popularity, you know, as like, a, as like a pop band and they were playing arenas, they said, you know, I'm kind of sick of playing arenas. So they decided they would create this most like bizarre, like psychedelic album. And I believe it was the White Album. I might be wrong on this. But that album that they were like, this is crazy. There's no way people are going to love it as much as our other stuff. Yeah, people loved it just as much. <laughs> and I was like, that's so interesting. It's almost like when you have like this, almost like a favor on you. <laughs> I'm going to get all like, uh, what do you call it? All uh, prosperity doctrine on it. But it's like, oh, there's kind of like favor that rests on people, I think, right? And right. I don't know if that's necessarily just because, like, oh, God has blessed that person because he has a big purpose for them. I think right. sometimes just favor falls on people. I, I'd say favor is kind of like uh, privilege, but, oh, we don't get political. Um, <laughs> this is blessed. Not you know, it's kind of like gifting. I think I was talking before we started recording about gifting and saying, you know, like, if you're gifted with something, somebody says you're gifted with this, it's like, it's not prideful to accept the fact that they said that. It just means you didn't work as hard as someone who actually worked to get good at this, right? Right. (laughs) What I'm saying is you're lazy. No, but, (laughs) but it was just kind of interesting how it's like this, it's almost like this anointing that fell on them and it just followed them no matter what. And it's like, it's like catching lightning in a bottle, um, I was listening to Bruce McCullough or something like that. He's one of the guys from Kids in the Hall. And he said, any show that makes it to TV is a miracle. <laughs> and I was like, that is interesting. Because people have ideas for shows. And some of them are great ideas that never make it. Right. But it's like having the right cast, having the right director, having the right idea, having the right pitch having the right people that can recognize it's a good idea. Like, there's so many things that go into it. And so I guess for me, if I'm going to create something, I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to create it and just kind of let the chips fall where they may. Because there's a lot of things that have to go in place if you're going to make it big. Right. You know, it makes. I've often thought about that. It's weird. Like, you sit there and see a movie... And it's just a derivative of some other movie or TV show or something. And it's like, oh, we've seen this bad cop, good cop routine a million times. Or we've seen this romantic, raunchy romantic comedy a million times or or whatever. And you sit there and think, what about all the people out there that they passed over that had really good ideas? And then they just decided to say, you know what? Ashton Kutcher, dude, where's my car? That has to be a thing, you know? (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, that's going to be a great movie. And it's... Like, and I said, because I, I remember seeing that movie. I don't know if you saw it, um, but uh, I've seen parts of it at least. Yeah, I don't think the tattoo it, part. It, it, do what? What does my tattoo say, dude? 
Yeah. So it's like it's the one movie. It's the one movie I've ever walked out of and thought I should ask for a refund because that's <laughs> sixty minutes of my life or ninety minutes of my life. I'm never going to get back. But somebody <laughs> thought to spend millions of dollars producing this stupid stoner movie with Ashton Kutcher, and it just because it had him and. I think it had Jay and Silent Bob or something. I, I don't even remember anymore. Like, like think of all the like really talented, gifted people who've worked hard in years and decades on their craft and their starving artists and their waiting tables in order to try to get their next big thing through, and then they go make dude wear my car. I get frustrated watching artists not succeed and be bitter about it. Yeah. But I'm like, the odds of you making it is so remote. So how do you find contentment? And I was listening to one of those GK podcasts. Um, It's like the pastor, Sam something. Sam Adams. (laughs) What? Sam Adams? No. No, I I don't know. Probably not. It was really interesting because they were talking about like, Contentment requires surrender. And I was like, whoa. I mean, that's pretty obvious, but it's like, to put it into words, it's like, gosh, that's it. And, you know, it's like, surrender to the will of God, surrender to Christ. Yes, absolutely. But whatever your situation is, you need to surrender to it if you're going to be content. And, man, that is... That is groundbreaking. When you have a terrible day hmm. where you start by spilling coffee on your shirt and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to surrender to this coffee that's on my shirt. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to look like a slob all day or I'm going to find another shirt to wear. You know, like, But it's just kind of like instead of getting more and more frustrated with things, if we're actually just kind of be able to take things in stride and say, okay, I'm going to surrender to this moment right now. Okay, that did not work out. Um, I'm behind schedule because this thing happened. Like today for me, I had a super muddy truck. Um, I've been on the back roads all week, got it muddier than I've ever gotten a truck. And I go to the gas station, I fuel up, pay for a car wash, um, go to the car wash, and the car wash is closed. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, I just paid for this. I know they don't refund these things. Hmm. Stupid, but they don't, right? I've got a car wash code, and I can't right. go to the car wash. And the, the gas jockey guy comes up to me, and he's like, hey, um, you can go to the other gas station from the same company, and you can get it transferred to that one. And I'm like, okay, I still got to get downtown and catch my bus home at like 4 o'clock. And it's hmm. like 3 th- it was pretty close to 3.30. I'm like, I am running out of time. And I'm just like, all right. Okay, there's no point in getting all angry about this. It is what it is, right? Like, it's like surrender to this it moment. what it is. Surrender to this moment and just know that, okay, this is what we're doing now. Going to go to the other gas station. Going to get the car washed. And if you miss your bus, you'll figure that out. Right. And, yeah, I did miss my bus. Whoop. But I did get home, and really, it didn't hurt the rest of my day. It's just funny how in those moments, though, it's so frustrating, right? Right. But I, I think, like, the key to contentment is surrender. 
And I mean, that's small things, but I'm talking big things too. It's like, how come I'm not a rock star yet? Right. Surrender. And it's like, there are skills that God has given you that he's going to use where you're at right now. Right. And we can't decide to be miserable. I mean, it is stupid <laughs> to pre- decide to be miserable in your situation. <laughs> I got a little more time today to listen to podcasts while I'm sitting there in the car wash. Right. It's a good podcast. So I'm, I'm going to take the silver lining, and I'm going to surrender to the situation. I'm going to take the silver lining, whatever I can find that's the silver lining. Because life is too short to be miserable. I think it's uh, interesting everybody always trying to make it, you know, kind of having a ministry background and stuff, you know, especially when I was in Bible college and seminary, there's a shortage of young men and women who, you know, have dreams of being yeah. on platforms, speaking to 10,000 people, Yeah, you know, maybe some of them aspire to something a little more humble, but, you know, generally speaking, they're going to take the city for Jesus, take the world for Jesus. Yeah. And none of them is going to be like, well, I'm going to pastor a church of 50 people, you know, yeah. and that's, that's seldom anybody's dream. But I think it's the, the, the guy who gets the church with 50 people and embraces it. And he's, he's the one truly committed to his art that yes. even though his, you know, he's never going to be found. He's just going to be you know, some small-time church pastor in Podunk, Arkansas, you know, and nobody's going to care about him. He's not even going to have a podcast. He's just going to have his 50 sheep, that, you know, come to church every Sunday, and that's going to be it. And that may be his life and his ministry, and he may have spent years and years and years of agonizing study and preparation in order to, to carry that out. You know, and to me, that's that's kind of embracing the art, embracing the moment, and just accepting it's a commitment to your craft, regardless of the results of the fruit of the labor of the craft. Exactly, exactly, and it's like you know, you're a you're a shoemaker, (laughs) you know, and it's like shoemaker, you know, being a shoemaker is God's work. Is it because you sing hymns while you make the shoes? It's like, no, because God loves good handiwork. (laughs) You know? And so, you know, it's like, what does God put in your hand? Do your best with it. That's that's all he's calling you to do. It's not, if you haven't reached a thousand people, then your life was not worth living. You know? And it's like, we have no idea what our impact is. And I'm kind of glad we don't. Like, right. if I knew the impact I was making, um, I'd either be depressed or I'd be really proud. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I think it would get me off mission because it's so easy for us to get distracted by our own reflection. Right. I think Billy Graham, you know, of course he got to say it from the guy who's preached to more people than anybody else in the history of the world, but, you know, he talked about how uh, at one point, he just realized he was riding on the success and all the work um, of the people that made it possible for him 
to be able to enjoy the fruit that he did in his life and ministry that, you know, so many countless, nameless, faceless people went into labor and sharing the gospel and, and, you know, things involving his crusades and stuff like that. You know, that he said something along the lines of you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know, it didn't get there by accident. Mm. Um, and you know, he just talked about all the help that goes into that sort of thing. And like, he's just like, who's Billy Graham? Like, you know, yeah, of course I meet with presidents and I stand in arenas full of people and everybody shows up to, to hear me preach and stuff. But you know, there was a lot of nameless and faceless people that made all of that possible and history will never remember any of them, you know, mm-hmm. and they may not even know that they made all that possible. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the actor, but it was like the guy that played as the commissioner in Batman Begins. Um, and right. someone asked him, who's the most important person, you know, when it comes to, like, making your movies? Because he's a pretty big movie star. Right. And he said, the most important person is the man that drives me to the set every day at five in the morning. He's like, because without him, none of this could happen. <laughs> it's a, there I mean, are no small actors. There's no, there's no small parts, only no small actors, right? <laughs> well, it's almost, you know, it's a lot like the last shall be first, the first shall be last, right? right. It's like those people that go unnoticed, they're going to be the rock stars in heaven. Right. And so why are we fighting to be, you know, like noticed? And there is something incredible about this idea of being able to help people without being noticed. Right. To be that person behind the person, behind the person, behind the person that, you know, somehow this ends up being a success. And I don't know, like, there's, I I feel like the more we surrender that, I guess we're back to surrender, but it's like the more we surrender that, that, that significant surrender, that, you know, notion that I have to make a big impact, um, I think we have much better potential for doing something meaningful. You know, it reminds me of when I was uh, in college. My English professor thought I did a really good job at reading some lines in class one day from some Shakespeare thing we were studying, and uh-huh. we did a little skit in class, and she's like, well, have you ever considered, like, auditioning for the, the college uh, plays they're having an audition, you know, this, uh, this week. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, you should, you should go check it out. You should go audition. I was like, oh, nobody's ever told me I should do something like that. I'll, I'll go try it. And then I went and tried it, and I read the lines, and, you know, I waited for a callback or whatever, and it never happened, and I never got to, you know, be on the show. But they sent me a Dear John letter and said, well, if you'd like to volunteer for, you know, being a stagehand uh, so that you can participate in helping, even if you're not going to be on stage, you can still help and participate and, and make the show possible. And I was like, no, I'm going to be on stage. <laughs> <laughs> And so I threw the letter away and went away. But, you know, reflecting on it back in life, it's like I saw the actual movie that that play was based on mm. later. And I thought, wow, that was a really powerful movie. Like, mm. I'm sure the original play was just as good, if not better. I was like, kind of wish I would have participated as 
being a stagehand for that play because that was significant. I like, I felt like that movie was significant and meaningful to me. And it's like, man, I didn't get to participate in, you know, maybe perhaps just being a small part and making, you know, allowing somebody else to participate in that play that I never had an opportunity to and being impacted in the way that that movie made an impact on me. It's like, man, that's tough. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been thinking, I, I thought of this, uh, I was going to make this post at one point. I didn't really know how it would be taken, but it's like, don't let your head get in the way of the anointing. And it's like, I think there are moments that God gives us, there are opportunities that God gives us, and we think our way out of those And it's like, what if, I guess back to that still small voice, um, what if we just stop and instead of the chatter in our brain saying, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. You want to be on stage. <laughs> Tear up the letter, you know? Like, right. and, and, and you actually stopped and said, huh, wait, though, I'm still able to participate in this. Right. I mean, and who knows where this leads? It could lead to like an acting opportunity eventually. Right. And it's just I I guess our head, our ego, and I I'm guilty of this too. It's like ego gets in the way of us actually being able to you know, take part in a divine opportunity. Right. I was um I was thinking about like I, I was listening to a researcher. It was like a scientific researcher that was talking about experimenting. And I thought about how, like, experiments in science are a lot like experiments in art. And it's like when you're doing an experiment in science, you're like, well, I wonder what happens if I do this with this. Well, let's find out. And I think when you're doing art could be like, what if I mix this and this? I mean, like, I know for you, your art, one of your, one of your artistic talents would be food. Right. And you'd be like, well, what would happen if I added this spice to this? Right. And I think it's, with cooking, you can really see how it connects with experiments in science. You know, it's, it's funny you mention that because... We have a, a tradition in my family. We make Chicago-style thin crust pizza. And mm-hmm. my mom learned to make it when she was like 20 years old working in an Italian restaurant in Chicago. And she's been making it ever since. And like it's kind of been a legendary Humphrey staple that if you were to ask any of my relatives their first thought about my mom, what do you think about Martha? They would be like, pizza lady you know mm. <laughs> and uh I, i've learned she I, I asked her to teach me how to make the pizza and i've been making it for a year since but like a couple weeks ago i made the pizza and i burned it and i uh. didn't know how because i didn't do anything differently that i could think of like the cheese just was black and I was just like, well, it tasted good. But I like I even posted a picture of it on my Facebook page. And my mom was like, instantly called me up. And she's like, Jimmy, you have to take that down. <laughs> you, know, right. you can't have that representing uh, the Humphrey family tradition. You have to take that down. I'm, I'm embarrassed that you put that up. <laughs> I was like, okay, mom, I'll, I'll take it down. But, you know, it had been nagging me since then. I was like, man, they're like, 
of the thousand pizzas I've made, I've never had one where the cheese just burnt like that. And huh. so like today I was getting ready to make pizza for dinner and I had before making it, I started digging around on, um, online and trying to find out what would make the cheese burn. And I found out a couple of things and I was like, well, I'll make this small adjustment. And the cheese turned out nice and golden and perfect and beautiful and gooey and no signs of burnt anywhere. And I was like, ah, you know, I'll have to make sure that next time I make pizza and every time I make pizza that I, right before I top the pizza, I put the cheese back in the freezer for half an hour so that it has a time to kind of re-solidify a little bit so that it can endure the heat of, an, you know, 450-degree oven. Interesting. Um, and sure enough, it came out probably one of the most beautiful cheeses I've ever seen on any pizza I've ever made. Um, and I was like, ah, so, you know, art, science, they kind of go together in there. And I just made a little adjustment in my science, and I got some, at least I think, some pretty yummy art. Well, it's interesting, too, like when you talk about art, um, <clears throat> there's like a certain amount of chaos and disorder in art. You know, any, any type of art, you know, whether it's music or it's visual art, um, I'm not sure so much with cooking. Maybe it is if you're, like, decorating a cake or whatever. <laughs> but it's like I, I was actually out um, for Canada Day with, um, with a, a friend, and she was, you know, she's very hippie and just an interesting artsy person. And she kind of said to me, you ever notice how, like, grass, when you look at a field of grass, not all the blades of grass are sticking straight up. Some of them are kind of to the side. And there's like, so there's like order to the field. There's order to the grass. Like a good lawn has like an order to it. So it looks nice and neat. But there's a bit of disorder that makes it look real. And it's like, that's what we're trying to do when we create art. And if you listen to music or you look at like a painting there's certain imperfections that are supposed to be there because art is an emulation of nature. Which means really the art that we create, we're trying to emulate what our creator created. Right. Just really cool. So like creating is a reflection of the creator. It's pretty cool. I was reading the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. I think this is where I got this from. Um, But I was like, this is an interesting thought. No wife or child is certain that the husband or father will not murder them, and yet they may live comfortably and not fear it. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is this the premise of like Stephen King books and movies? And, and like, mm. I think you know, like it, it, it is. I, I could possibly kill me today. I don't know. Uh, today, ill- today it's illustrative. It's illustrative, though, of the type of like risks that we live with every day. Mm. And it's like we're, you know, what is certainty? Well, I don't know if certainty really exists. I mean, we know odds, and we, 
we take odds and we say, well, that's certain, right? right. So, I mean, there's, I mean, I, I don't think there's much of a chance of one of my loved ones killing me, but, <laughs> but to be certain is not, like, you can't be 100% certain of that. <laughs> and so... When I, when I, sometimes I snore and my wife has, you know, tried to figure out ways to get me to stop snoring <laughs> when I'm sleeping. And, like, there's been times where I've waken up to it, I was like, what's that? What's that? It's like, I just felt like something touched my nose. That's really weird. You know, who <laughs> feels something touching their nose when they were sleeping? And then, you know, I eventually started talking to my wife about it. She's like, oh, I found out, like, if I do this to your face while you're sleeping, you know, <laughs> you'll stop snoring. And I was like, oh, did it work? Oh. It did, you know, oh, or sometimes cool. it doesn't, but you know, she, sometimes it's like, there's literally a hand over my mouth. So I don't know if this is the end or not. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we like Man. to keep things interesting in our marriage, you know, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I, I guess maybe the reason I can't even remember why I added this to the list, but I, I think it's that kind of certainty and how, like, I think a lot of times people think of like evangelicals and fundamentalists as people that are certain of things. Right. And it's like I don't think I don't think anybody is really a hundred percent certain of anything. It's just maybe a really high percentage, you know, of trust in something. Right. That we develop over time, like we do our, you know, families. <laughs> I, I heard I heard some preacher once say that the opposite of faith is not unbelief, but it's certainty. Yeah. And I kind of like that because you usually think, well, Lord, help my unbelief. And while there's some truth to that, it's kind of like I think we get to, you know, an over sense of confidence that something's going to happen or a certain doctrine is correct. And these things are going to happen in our lives. And we become 100% certain. Like, like I dated somebody who was convinced that they heard from God that when they went to South America on a mission trip, that not only was God going to perform a miracle through them, but he was going to perform an unusual miracle through them. And they were confident that they had heard that God told them that they were going to perform a miracle through them, an unusual miracle, a unique miracle. So they went to South America, and they just were waiting for people to grow limbs and things of that nature back when they prayed for him and nothing of the sort, you know, happened and they came back and they were devastated because, you know, God told them and they believed God. They were absolutely certain, you know, behind, you know, I even, and they questioned them. I was like, well, honey, like maybe you didn't hear from God. How dare you say I didn't hear from God? Like she was so certain that she did hear from God that, you know, and that God was going to perform a unique miracle in yeah. South America, she needed that certainty and that affirmation in her life to know that she was really called and anointed and that God was going to do something special through her one day. And, you know, that would just validate her. Like, she needed that level of certainty with her life and faith um, that, uh, you know, she had to pray for somebody. And if God didn't grow a limb on them, well, and then it was all a lie, you know? And I'm like, man, that's that's hanging a lot on God there and a lot of uncertainty that you really believed that you heard that God told you that this was going to happen, and then it didn't. 
And then you're upset at me for saying, well, maybe you didn't hear from God. No, it happened. You know, don't ever Dang. question me on that. Like, and it was just like, whoa, like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have married this chick. <laughs> well, I think, you know, like, it's this um, degree of self-importance. And it's like, if we, if we look at that, like, in our, like, just in our, um, I guess, worldly lives, you know, saying, well, I should have this promotion. If I don't have this promotion, I am garbage. Right. You know, like, and you can have that mentality and people are like, well, that's wrong. But if you spiritualize it and say, God said I was going to have this promotion, that's a bit different. But you take that next level to where she is. It's like, God said, I'm going to perform this big miracle. But it's like the same self-importance in all three scenarios. Right. And it's like, man, like, why do we have that self-importance? And even if it's spiritual self-importance, I mean, it's incredible to me that, you know, like for me, one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned, and I talk about this way too much, is like significance was so important to me. How do I be significant in the eyes of God? Right. Hey, God, I'm doing this. Are you, are you impressed with me? And he's like, I was impressed with you the day you were born. You're my child. I love you. You're significant. Right. Stop trying to make yourself that. You already are. And man, when you surrender to that... Life becomes a lot simpler. I remember, I wish I remembered it better than I do, but it was a parable somebody blogged about like 15 years ago. I read it. I think the guy's name was Chip Brogdon, I want to say. And there was this blog post he put together, and it was called The Songbird. And he told mm-hmm. this story about a songbird that had this beautiful singing voice and it sang all these wonderful songs, and it was just really good at writing things. And they just delighted themselves in the Lord, and they woke up every morning to sing to the Lord their song that they had wrote just for Him. And then somebody came along and said, "Wow, you're really talented and gifted. You should, you should really make something of your, yourself and use those talents." And they're like, "Really? I never thought what I was doing here was that that special and, and important." And and uh, so they end up, you know. Somebody else comes along and says the same thing. And they're like, wow, I'm really confirmed. I'm special. And so they ended up pursuing a songbird ministry uh, in which they traveled the world and sang all their songs and, you know, got all the applause and accolades and had a big bird's nest and all that sort of stuff that went along with being a, a wonderful singing bird. And then one day it all came to an end and, you know, they were full of dismay and disappointment and it felt like, God, you know, you know, have I wasted my talents and times and, and, and stuff like this? Nobody will even pay attention to me anymore. And, you know, at the end of the parable, God's like, well, I was always paying attention to you. Um, mm. I, I love yeah. the songs that you sang to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that put them, you know, and so the bird, you know, at the end just ends up resuming its, uh, waking up every morning just to sing to the Lord, even if nobody else would listen. Yes. I always thought that was a beautiful little parable. That's it. That's totally it. I was always listening to you. I like that. 
I think we'll close with that. So, Jimmy, what's a good way for people to get a hold of you? 704, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is it safe to put your phone number out there on the Internet? I don't know. Let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> we can talk about it next week. No. Um, Jimmy'sTable.com is yeah. probably the best way. You go there, you'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, you'll find my podcast. Um, and if you're ever in Charlotte, North Carolina, email me at Jimmy at Jimmy'sTable.com and you know, I won't invite you over for uh, food because I don't know you. You're just a stranger emailing me. You know? <laughs> but uh, maybe we could get some coffee or something if you want to talk about anything. But, uh, you know, internet, the interwebs are cool to start the conversation. Yes. And you can get a hold of me at Johnny Howe on Twitter. Um, ADD Masterminds, we are on facebook and on twitter thanks again for joining me jimmy wait a second before we go uh-huh should we get the cv radio out and see if we can get theosaurus rex breaker breaker do you read me still small voice <laughs>